Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today, I'm joined by Samir Maskey, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Fuse Machines. He also is an adjunct professor at Columbia University, really deep understanding of AI, machine learning as it relates to education. I'm going to let Samir talk to you about all of this. But before we do that, Samir, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, you have a really interesting story to tell. And we always like to begin by giving our guests a chance to tell their own story. How did you get to this point in your professional life? Catch us up on how you got to this point in your career. Sounds good. So my background is machine learning AI and been doing it for about 20 something years at this point. I started doing AI research before it was hot like this <laughs> in early 2000. I grew up in Nepal and then came here for college. Uh, I went to Bates College in Maine, studied math and physics. But during that time, I did a lot of computer science research, particularly related to language, like speech recognition systems, question answering systems, and so forth. That led me to doing PhD in computer science focused on speech and language processing field, particularly focused on summarization, question answering, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that led me to join IBM Watson Research Center, uh, again, focusing on natural language processing, Question answering, speech to speech translation systems. Did you join pre or post Jeopardy? Pre Jeopardy. Yeah. So you were inside the Watson machines. You have a wind share of Watson's performance on Jeopardy, I guess. I actually do not because I wasn't exactly in that department. Within IBM, there's so many different research departments, all of them actually doing different kinds of systems. Uh, in the beginning, I joined speech to speech translation system group mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. uh, which is the machine translation group, and then the question answering. But later on, I ended up doing joining a group called Deep QA, basically joining doing deep question answering systems and that other forms of natural language processing systems. Right, and this alone would be worth an appearance on Trending Ed. We could go deep into your domain knowledge as an AI expert and as a researcher and a professor. But there's more to your story. I understand. <laughs> yes. So been in academia for a very long time, just like for the long time, I was just purely doing research, publishing papers, going to NLP speech and machine learning conferences. And then in, in 2013, the entrepreneurial bug, as they say, it caught me and I said to myself, okay, if I'm going to do it, I got to do it now. And then I quit IBM and started Fuse Machines and also came back to teach at Columbia where I was mm -hmm. teaching this, uh, AI courses. Yeah. And uh, since 2013, been doing Fuse Machines and running Fuse Machines. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to talk about there where a part of why I was so excited to get you on the show beyond being able to talk about the AI angle is to talk about the entrepreneurial angle as it relates to AI and the fact that you founded this company back in 2013. It's still thriving to this day. And it's not just AI, it's also an education company. Can you clarify that aspect of the mission? Because I, I think the democratization of AI was something that really resonated with me when I saw it was part of your mission. Can you expand a little more on that? Sure. So today, Fusion Machines' core mission is democratizing AI. And what that means is for us is bringing high quality AI education in underserved communities around the world and be that bridge to connect AI jobs 
to the ones who have had AI education. And I believe with a strong foundation in AI education and also being able to use the skills that you learn through AI education and be able to do high quality and high paying jobs remotely for various enterprises allows us to raise the overall income for a lot of people within those underserved communities. And I believe that could be one of the tools to reduce poverty in these underserved communities through the power of education, particularly through the power of AI education, which mm -hmm. is our focus. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where, you know, trending in education, the, the trend that I really was interested in is how do you educate people at scale in artificial intelligence? And then also how can you help equip folks with the skills that show the economic mobility that you're describing? Can you share a little bit of your thinking about how AI may factor into the way jobs and the future of work and how it relates to AI education. So I think there's two aspects to it. One is the, how the automation will uh, affect the future of work, right? Like how will it, how much automation will be possible? How much will that improve efficiency within the workforce and how did that translate into overall number of jobs and so forth? And then yeah. there's other aspect, which is the. Uh, the upskilling and training a lot of people who can be upskilled with AI training so that they can actually be part of the trend of the future of work with a lot of automation. So I think from a future of work perspective, there is more and more automation happening. I think particularly automation comes about in jobs that does not require a lot of cognitive thinking to start with, answering questions over email, but repetitive questions for customer service, for example and so forth. Various aspects are on computer vision uh, that could be used in manufacturing plants where on a conveyor belt, the system is identifying defective items and so forth. So that automation, as it matures more and more and it gets higher accuracy on be it defect identification or be it responding to emails, it will definitely reduce some number of jobs. Yeah. Right? I think that will happen, but that does not mean there will be just overall reduction of jobs. I think it will create more other kinds of responsibilities. For example, a job for creating a data set around finding defective items. It could be adaptational pictures and videos, or it could be a knowledge trainer who builds a training data set for being able to respond to emails. Yeah. Uh, so I think it will create those aspects of new kinds of jobs, as they call it, creative destruction. And in the same time, I think there'll be more people who would want to upskill themselves to be able to build models or be AI savvy enough so that they can be part of the overall growth that comes with AI. And that requires upskilling and AI education. And I think that's where another trend is, I would say, I think more and more people would want to take various courses in AI and get themselves upskilled to the various levels of AI. Like you right. can be a full-blown machine learning engineer building the very complex large-scale model. But everybody doesn't have to be that. You could right. be AI savvy enough so that you can actually use uh, your AI knowledge to work with engineers who are building those models or work with managers or work with creative teams to figure out what kind of user interface would look like with the AI robotic system. Yeah. So yeah. there's various levels of AI education as well. And I think there will be a trend of more and more people trying to teach themselves AI and figuring out where up to what point of complexity within the AI stack of education they would want to take. Yeah, no, I really love that. And I, I like the language leadership around AI savvy. I think of digital literacy as a buzzword that we use a lot and we don't always get more specific under the hood. What do you mean by digital literacy? 
I think there is a level of just competence and comfort with automation and with design thinking. We talk also in education about roles like instructional designers and product managers and folks who are on the UX usability side, QA. There's plenty of roles that intersect with software engineering, but increasingly that type of engineering is going to be moving towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, building models. Do you have any perspective on the base competencies that would be involved in AI savvy? What would be the foundational skills that folks need to develop to be able to build from? One of the most important foundation to be an AI engineer is to have the knowledge of basics of some of the mathematical concepts that goes into building these AI systems. And in order to understand that, you need to have a foundation in linear algebra, a foundation in probability, foundation in stats, and foundations in calculus. I think those four from the mathematical framework perspective that you need to know. And then at least one programming language, uh, probably Python, because that's very popular these days. So I think if you Python and then these four core foundations in math, then you'll be able to learn AI to a level where you can actually build models. But everybody does not need to know that. Everybody does not need to build models. So if you are just want to know how to apply AI, not necessarily know all the things under the wood, then I think you need to focus particularly, especially if you are executive, then you need to focus, I think, particularly on what's possible and what's not possible. There's so much hype around AI and everybody reads the news that AI did this and AI did that. And they, as a senior executives in companies, I have seen some of the senior executives saying, oh, we got to apply this. But sometimes it's not applicable for your problem within the business domain. And in order to understand that, you need some literacy around uh, what's the extent of research out there from AI perspective, how it's been applied and what's the results that has been shown and what's feasible, like what's feasible and what's not feasible, right? If you're an executive and you said, I want to build an AI system that would read all the manuals and uh, be a trainer that comes in Zoom and then teaches everybody and have all these conversations very fluidly and can so it, like if you have a notion like that, Maybe the research is not there yet. The, the natural language systems has become a lot better, but we still don't have a system that can talk like us. We're doing right now. That fluidity is not there. So as an executive, you need to know the Western limitation of it. It does not mean natural language dialogue systems are not useful for automation. It is, and it is already showing results. Yeah. But as an executive, you need to spend more time on training yourself and learning about what's the limitation and what's possible and what's not possible. And if you know that, I think then you'll be able to apply AI in your business world better. That makes sense. The other element of this that I always find interesting is that as a leader, as an executive, as someone who's trying to get strategic and look, say, two, three, five, ten years out, you also need to think about how humans will interact with AI and build your system that includes some design thinking about what humans will continue to be best at and new skills will be developing in. This is where, how much are you investing in AR and VR and new media formats and things that are likely going to need a human first versus those other ends of the ecosystem, like you're describing, which are ripe for automation. Can you describe a little bit of that? Because I know you've taught this at Columbia. You've also trained your own team and been leading with that level of thinking. And I know you're beginning to provide those same sorts of services to enterprises, but can you describe a little bit about how you think about 
your human component versus your AI component and how to design with good harmonization in mind there? A lot of research these days, a lot of research is focused particularly on like model building and accuracy of the model and has it gone from 85.5 to 90 or something like that, right? But I think the research around human-computer interaction, the field is HCI, that I think is starting to, there's more and more money being spent on trying to figure out as AI gets useful enough to really interact with you, be it form of limited dialogue or be it in the form of being able to text back and forth or being able to say things and so forth. How does, how should machines be integrated into our lives so that humans feel comfortable and feels assisted rather than they feel threatened or they feel not comfortable or they feel the privacy issues are not taken care of? I think there'll be more research that's needed on how we do this. I can tell you so from my own experience on building some of the AI features into our own products on how, what kind of things we have done to make people comfortable. One of the examples in our AI product in the Fields Classroom, which is the learning platform, is doing automatic recommendation of different topics and sections of the topics that you should study based on the exam you just gave. So you give an exam, a lot of times you get an exam sheet back saying you made these four questions wrong, but that's about it. A lot of times students take those, oh, I got those four things wrong, and then I forget about it. Next time I then give an exam, and you might have forgotten that you are weak on those four topics and make, again, mistakes on similar four questions. Yeah. The platform has a recommendation system saying, okay, you made these four mistakes in these four questions, and these are the, like, literally sections of the book, digital book, that you should now study to make yourself more comfortable with those topics. Yeah. Now, the, those recommendations comes in and you have to act on it, but you have a choice of acting on it or not acting on it. And if you want to improve your grades, you have to act on it and you want to read it. Otherwise you don't. So it's a very assistive system that gives the full control to the humans on being able to make that choice of, do I want to do this or do I don't want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's important when we are building human computer, especially assistive systems. Yeah. And that's part of the conversation in the popular culture about self-driving cars and how comfortable are we literally releasing our hands from the steering wheel. There are a lot of questions around human agency. And I like the note around ultimately the learner has to be engaged herself and she needs to be interacting and, you know, actively learning in the best case scenarios. What about the uh, the ethical implications? There's a lot of thinking now around how AI can be used in pro-social positive ways. You're talking about how it can be really a way for folks to level up and stay ahead of work trends and really change their prospects and the prospects for their lives and their families. But uh, but what about the risks around artificial intelligence? There, there are some conversations out there. I'd love to get some of your perspective on that. Yeah, there are definitely risks, right? If you take like, there there are risks on, even if you, for example, you can be using AI to scan through MRIs and detect cancer. And let's say we get to a point where everybody's comfortable enough that the doctors don't even review the recommendation. They just let the machine decide. Yeah. Now the accuracy is, let's say 99%. That's pretty high accuracy for most yeah. systems. And that's probably sometimes even higher than the human's own prediction systems. Like human also makes a lot of errors. Right. Now, the ethical question that comes about is, if we let the machine decide completely, and that 1% gets a surgery for the cancer they did not have, yeah. then who's responsible? If we were 
using that more as a system and we were reviewing it. And even when reviewing, we make mistakes. At least there was a human in the loop to make that mistakes. Yeah. And somebody is responsible for it. And there are laws around it. Yeah. But the laws haven't really caught up on like if machine made the mistake and machine recommended the surgery. And in fact, we get to a point, there's more and more robotic surgery systems as well. And let's say even the robotic system does a surgery and takes out, I don't know, appendix when you, the, the robotic system did not need to take out the appendix. Then right. Who who gets held accountable for it? And these are some of the ethical questions that comes about as we loop in machines into our daily lives and daily professional lives where the decision making is happening. And that's a place where I think even training up folks so that they can understand that complexity and understand that those types of skills where increasingly folks with a background in ethics are more useful when it comes to designing AI systems than perhaps we might've thought otherwise. And that to me, it, it also reminds me of the benefit of science fiction and creativity in terms of teasing up, teasing out some of these questions that we're going to be struggling with for the foreseeable future. At the same time, it does come back to the concept of the centaur, which we've talked a bunch about on this show as well, where if you look at chess simulators, the pure AI simulator versus a human. Now chess is a, is basically a place where AI has won to a large extent, but yeah. if you give a human the assistive technology to compete with the AI, many times the human can actually defeat even some of the best AI models. It's a really interesting space where the advantages of this assistive technology are accelerating to the point where you'll either get on the head train or you won't. And if you don't use the assistive technology, you're going to be woefully behind. I'd love to hear a little more from you around maybe the strategy side and the enterprise side. When folks are trying to come up with an AI strategy or they're trying to understand how to, how do I train or develop my workforce? What are those conversations like? Can you share a little bit of that perspective? Sure. In in a lot of large enterprises right now, when they're thinking about upscaling, the way they started out at least a couple of years back is provide these platforms where there's a lot of videos and they told the engineers, if you want to upscale yourself and become an AI engineer, and you might be like a back-end engineer, front-end engineer, here's the access. We paid for the access, get on it, look at the videos, teach yourself. And I think a lot of enterprises I've seen that hasn't been as successful. The completion rate is quite minimal. Most start the course, they never finish. It. And so they haven't been able to upskill their engineers to a level where they can actually be the AI engineers. Yeah. And that's what they have. They're going out and hiring them and having a hard time finding those engineers. What we have seen, and, and I think this is what we recommend, and I think we have seen a lot of enterprises seeing success is because AI, especially building model level of work, is a lot of math, as I mentioned before. Yeah. It's slightly harder to learn AI, learn all these math concepts just by looking at videos in your living room right. or in your home office. The same hour, if you have uh, an instructor who is actually going through the concepts and teaching you and answering all your questions, it seems to be a lot more effective on being able to teach AI. People are more engaged. They feel like they're getting more out of the same exact one hour. Yeah. Instead of looking at one hour of video, you are having a one hour of lecture time and being able to ask questions. Yeah. And that's what we do. So at Fuse Machines, we provide um, uh, AI education for corporations as well. And when we provide AI education, 
program, be it AI school or be it a AI education program for corporations. We run, we provide the platform, we provide the video, all of that, obviously. But besides that, we provide live lectures at least once or twice a week. Yeah. And that seems to make all the difference in the completion rates of the students and the students' experience on overall program and how much they feel like they have learned and the competency and confidence to build models and be a true like contributor in the model building exercises of AI systems within their companies. Yeah. It's interesting. It does remind me of the collaborative nature of work in a lot of ways, where if the learning experience is collaborative, even though you still have to be held accountable for your own efforts, but just the idea of another human paying attention to this at the same time, especially if they're an expert, especially if they're empathetic. And then especially if the work is relevant and challenging enough without being too hard, we're getting closer to time, Samir. So thank you again for your input. It's been a wonderful conversation so far. We're going to get to your closing thoughts in a moment, but as someone who's been ahead of trends for a while, I can't let you leave without hearing what's got you excited. What do you see emerging that maybe on the horizon a little bit further out we also talk frequently about the Gartner hype cycle here. So feel free to talk something that is overblown and debunked. But I'd love to get some perspective on new and emerging technology stuff that people should be on the lookout for, or maybe is a little bit further out on the horizon, but is worth paying attention to. The deep learning systems have brought about a big change in AI now. There's larger and larger models you hear like on the one day. Amazon comes with a large language model and another day the Microsoft comes with it. And so I think there's more and more innovation happening, particularly in language with the deep learning systems now, which lets me very excited being a language busing researcher myself. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, there are models like DALI, DALI 2 now and so forth, which are also exciting on a lot of the computer vision stuff as well. The amount of resources that's going on in various types of deep learning models and the amount of improvement in accuracy it is bringing about will show a lot bigger and bigger, wider and wider applications in the business domain and in the enterprises, uh, improving products and so forth. Yeah. It reminds me of you, you mentioned calculus before, which is one of my favorite maths, but it does remind me of the idea of the second derivative, the rate at which things are changing. It does feel like that rate is <laughs> increasing of late and that we're starting to see pick up things that felt a lifetime away are now within our reach, even in the range of say three to five years. That's the window by the mid 2020s to see how much of what has been maybe a little early for AI will start to hit more of a, a productivity window. And that's the space you're well positioned to help drive that evolution and also to help equip people because the skills gaps that you're talking about, they're significant already. And they're also going to be widening. As we get to our conclusion here, Samir, any concluding thoughts? Thanks again for the conversation, but any anything our listeners might want to take away from this conversation? Also, if, if they want to learn more about Fuse Machines, where should they go? Sure. If you want to learn more about Fuse Machines, you can go to www.fusemachines.com and that has all the links for the education programs and so forth. In conclusion, I would say if you want to become an AI engineer, this is the time to be. The, as you said, in a couple of years, I think the productivity window will start to appear where AI applications starts to actually make a bigger and bigger impact in real world because 
products with AI features become good enough that it really provides that value for end users. Yeah. So this is the time to educate yourself in AI and catch on that overall growth the whole world is going to see with AI. Mm. And if you want to learn AI, I think it is also important that you want to be able to at least take some time to and study some of these foundations in math so that you have a really good grasp of AI. And I think overall, more and more people are doing so, but I would also like to say that we would want even more folks and more people in underserved communities around the world to really take this chance to learn AI and be able to improve their skill set so that they can build models or whatever they can do on these AI jobs to be part of these this growth, right? This economic growth that is coming with AI in the, in the whole world and be a part of it. Absolutely. It reminds me of the whole growth mindset and imposter syndrome that we talk a lot about on the show, where it's great to see companies like Fuse Machines that are specifically targeting folks who may feel like, uh, that's not really for me to say, no, in fact, this is for you. You can do it and we can help. So hopefully folks are coming away from this with a little bit of inspiration. You can find more at FuseMachines.com. Samir Maskey. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me here. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please write us a review, share the good word. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.